We are walking through a series this morning. We're in our third week of a series we're calling Operating System. And we started it two weeks ago. And um, the reason we're calling it Operating System because it's all about what makes us tick as a church. It's all about what we're all about behind the scenes, what our values are, what the operating system is of our church. And so if you're a part of Church at Cane Bay, this is stuff you want to know and need to know. And if you're visiting or you're a guest or you're just kind of checking it out, then this gives you a better idea of who we are and what we're all about and what we care about. And so we're in, we're in week three, and the first week we talked about our core value. And we said that our core value at the Church of Cane Bay is gospel. Now, what we mean by that, that sounds like a very churchy word. It's a word that just means the good news of Jesus, the message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to save and forgive us. And so that's, that's the gospel in a nutshell, and that's what we care about more than anything else. We care about people knowing, seeing, hearing, and responding to the gospel of Jesus. And so, so the gospel is kind of our center. It's our core. And then last week, we started going through what we call our five guiding values. And, and, and those are simplicity. We talked about that last week. For the next few weeks, we're, today we're talking about harvest. And then we're going to be talking next week about partner and then innovation and then generosity. Those five things we call our guiding values. They guide how we operate as a church. Um, and so last week when we talked about simplicity, I don't know if, if you were here or uh, uh, this will be a refresher if you weren't here. The basic thing we said last week when we talked about simplicity is this, that we want to be a simple church, that we want to, to be simple. And, and we will say no to a lot of things at Church at Cane Bay. And you need to know that about us. That's just who we are. We will say no to a lot of things. In fact, we'll say no to a lot of good things. Good things that other churches may do, that you may have done growing up in church, or you may think are important. Some of those things we will say no to. We will say no to many good things in order to focus on the best thing. And the best thing for us is this. So, so you may go, well, what is the best thing? Well, if our, listen, if our core value is the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus... Then, then today we're going to be talking about what I think is the best thing. And that is that we want to be a church that is to be focused on the harvest. Now, I've got to tell you what I mean by that. And we're going to look to Jesus' definition of that in a minute. But today, I think we're talking about what the best thing really is. That we want to be a simple church that is absolutely committed to the gospel of Jesus and committed to seeing the gospel of Jesus be demonstrated and displayed to every man, woman, and child in our circle of influence. Now, I'm going to explain all of that a little bit more in a minute, but let's take the word harvest because that's what we're talking about today is our, our next guiding value. And so what do we mean by harvest? How many of you, like, you know about farming? Just raise your hand if you grew up around a farm. Ra did you grow up around a farm, anybody? We are a bunch of city slickers, aren't we? Okay, some of you, yes, and I, I worked, some of you, um, if you grew up on a farm, you, you kind of maybe understand this term better than those of us who think our food actually comes from Publix. Um, it, it doesn't, it comes from somewhere before it gets there, right? Um, before it gets in those cans or those boxes or those packages, like it, it comes from somewhere. It comes from something called a harvest, at least the good food does. Um, so, right, are you with me? 
Okay, so a harvest is, is something that is reaped. It's something that brought in. It's planted. A seed is planted in the ground, usually not all the time. But a seed is planted in the ground, and then it's watered. The soil is tilled even before that, and then it grows. And then when it grows, it's ready to be picked or gathered and, and brought in. And so that's what the word technically means, harvest, right? But Jesus used this, uses this word in a, in a very interesting way. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Basically, Jesus uses the word harvest to describe people that are not yet believers. People that are not yet in his family belong to him. In other words, here's here's what we know about humanity. That all of us are created in the image of God, but not all of us are children of God. That's something that we really get from, from the Bible. It's real clear about this. That God created all of us and he had a plan for all of us, but he gave us the freedom to rebel against him or obey him and follow him. And, and, and you don't have to read much of the Bible to understand what we did. You don't have to look at yourself too much in the mirror to know what we did is that we chose often to rebel against God and wander from him and chart our own path. And we, we call that sin and sin separated us from God. But see, here, here's the thing is that God wants us with him. He wants to restore us to him, to adopt us back as his children. And that's when we really become his his children. And he did that by sending Jesus to die on our behalf to restore us or reconnect us with God forever by forgiving our sins. Now that's the the gospel. And, And Jesus says that those who haven't believed it yet, those who haven't come to him yet and trusted him yet, they're they're what he calls the harvest. People who are are ready and and they're waiting to know Jesus. And, And Jesus says that those people around us are the harvest. Now we'll deal with this a little bit more in just a second, but let me tell you how we say it at Church at Cane Bay. We say it like this. At Church at Cane Bay, we say the harvest is every man, woman, and child who is far from God, but close to us. Are are you with me? Do you understand that? And you've probably heard us talk about that before. That the harvest, we see that the harvest around us, the harvest fields, if you look at the fields around Cane Bay, that we believe that it's every man, woman, and child, that the Spirit of God is working in their life, drawing them to Him. It's every man, woman, and child around us who is far from God, but close to us. And we look out and we see they are in the harvest. It's your neighbors. It's your family. It's your coworkers. It's the person that checks out it you out at Publix that doesn't know Jesus. It's all those people who don't know Jesus and God is moving in their heart to draw them to him. They are the harvest. Now, so why should we care so much about that? If God's spirit is the one who's leading them and drawing them, and if God's doing that, and we don't know who's ready to believe in Jesus or not like, so, so why should we be so concerned and consumed about the harvest? I, I think that the harvest is the reason we really exist as a church. Now, I know we can mince words over this because we exist for the glory of God, right? And, and we, we do exist for that. But, but God is glorified when we, when we follow him and do what he says and love what he loves. And, 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 and God is concerned about and consumed with people who are far from him. We also say this some, and you may have heard Pastor Charlie say it something like this before, that we want to be a church that is from the harvest and to the harvest. Or I'll say it like this, we are from the harvest. In other words, we're people who were once in the harvest, right? We're once lost and far from God and 
God brought us close and somebody may have shared the gospel with you and you began to understand it and you believed in Jesus if you're a follower of Jesus. And now you're, you're a part of his family, that we're from the harvest, but we also want to be for the harvest, that we're not for ourselves, we're not for just our church, but we're from the harvest and we want to go back to the harvest. That's what the whole mission of Jesus is about. Now, when Jesus invited his first disciples to follow him, what did he say? Do you remember this? If, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you just to see if, if you remember this or, or know this about the mission of Jesus. When he said, come follow me and I will make you what? Oh, a lot of you do know it. Fishers of men. Now we've talked about farmers already. How many of you like to fish? More of you. That is great. Um, we had... Um, a friend over at our house yesterday, we were fishing, and, um, and we were fishing, and we said, we love to fish. We just don't like to clean them or eat them. We just like to catch them and throw them back. Here, here's the thing. That's not the mission of Jesus, first of all, but, <laughs> but neither is it to eat them. All right, so, so he didn't say, listen to this for just a second. Jesus did not say, follow me, and I will make you holy. Now, let me step on your toes for a second. Like, God does want your obedience. He does want you to listen to what He says and follow what He says. He does want your obedience. But Jesus didn't say, follow me and I'm going to make you holy. He didn't say, follow me and I'm going to make you moral. Follow me and I'm going to bless you. Follow me and I'm going to make you comfortable. Follow me and... No, there's a lot of good things that He could have said, but He didn't say because He said the best thing. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And Jesus indicated what His mission was. For us was all about when he said that. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of other people. That's a very important concept. On another occasion, Jesus was telling some stories about a lost coin and a lost sheep and a lost son. And he said something crazy about God. He said that it is better. And he, he insinuated that God is doing this and that he is doing this. It's better to leave the 99 sheep who are safe and found and go after the one that is lost. And friends, I'm going to tell you, that tells us something. Jesus told his followers and the people around them that story to tell them who God was and what God is all about. He's saying that God is deeply concerned and even consumed about people who are far from him. People who are lost. And that's a word you may have heard Christians use before, lost people. And, and it sounds like a negative word, but, but listen, God sees it it's something that he's deeply compassionate about is that a person who's wandered from God is more important than just about anything else. God loved this world so much that he did something about it. That he saw it in its brokenness and its lostness and people like us who had wandered from him. And God chose to send his son Jesus Christ to bring us back to him to save us. And remember what that verse says in John 3, 16 and 17. It says that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, to point fingers. He didn't come to tell us how wrong we were from going so far from God. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to rescue them, to save them. Because God's heart has always been and will always be for people to be back with him. The whole mission of God and the mission of this church is a rescue mission. Is to seek and save that which is lost. That was Jesus' mission. 
Jesus cared all about the harvest, was consumed with it. We're about to see it in just a minute when we read the passage we're going to read. But I'm going to tell you this church is consumed and concerned with that as well. And if you're a part of this church, I just want you to know this. That we want to be a people who are consumed and concerned with the harvest around us. Because Jesus is, and as we follow him, we will be as well. If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 35. Matthew chapter 9 is where we'll be. So if you've got your paper Bible, if you've got your phone or a tablet, we're also going to have it on the screen. You can follow along. If you've got a, um, a worship guide this morning, you can take some notes or write it down somewhere. Take some notes in your phone. Um, here's what we're going to read. We're going to read uh, about Jesus teaching um, his disciples about something. And, and I, want, I want you to see how Matthew kind of phrases it here. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says this. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, stop right there for me just a second with verse 35. It says this, that Jesus was going about proclaiming, displaying, demonstrating, talking about the gospel of the kingdom. Now, we've already said that's our core value. That's our center. That's what we're all about is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That there's hope and there's healing and there's peace in, in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, it says, was proclaiming the gospel. But did you see what else it said? He was also healing disease and affliction. Now, that's interesting because Jesus often did that. And we know that about Jesus, right? Jesus often combined the good news with good deeds. You see that? Why, why does Jesus do this? It almost, almost all the times when you see it in the gospel, when it says Jesus was proclaiming the gospel, he's also healing the sick. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you what. Everybody who he healed that was sick, ended up getting sick again and dying. So it wasn't just to keep them well. Like, that wasn't what it was all about. It had to be more than that. It wasn't that, it, I, I think it was for two reasons. One is this. I think it was to demonstrate his power, first of all, that Jesus was saying he could forgive their sins, he could save them, he was the savior of the world, come to him, follow him, and, and see for people to listen to him and to, to believe that he was the son of God and he could forgive them, he had to demonstrate that he had, that he had the power to do it. And when you heal somebody from their disease or their sickness or you raise them from the dead, you demonstrate, I've got the power to heal you completely, right? And so I believe Jesus was demonstrating his power, that he was who he said he was. But I also believe there's a second reason Jesus was doing it, and it was this. I think that Jesus was healing the sick, the disease, because he truly cared about them and he wanted to demonstrate that he didn't just want to convert them, but he had compassion for them, that he truly cared. You guys know the cliche that, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you... A couple of you know it. So I, I think that that is true, that this is what Jesus knows, and, and Jesus knows it about us as well, that meeting people's needs, caring about people, rescuing them from a flood in Houston... That those things matter deeply to the gospel of Jesus. Why? Because when you meet people's needs, it builds a bridge into their life that says, I don't just want to convert you. I care deeply about you. 
Do, do you understand that? That somehow when we care about people and we demonstrate good deeds, it gives us the opportunity, it earns the trust to proclaim the gospel because that's the real healing that they really need. It's not that they just that they need food or that they need shelter or that they need a new home. They do need all the, that stuff, but they really need Jesus. But to earn the right to say that and to show that and to demonstrate that and display that, Jesus often combined the good news with good deeds. And at church at Cane Bay, we want to do the same thing. We want to not just speak the truth, but we want to demonstrate the truth. We want to, we want to serve the people around us. That's why we do missional communities. It's, it's because we believe that it's not just about gathering here on Sundays and preaching and singing, that it's about demonstrating the gospel where we live, work, and, and play. And we believe that every follower of Jesus should be concerned about their lost neighbors, about everybody around them, every man, woman, and child. And we want to serve them because the gospel is not just telling people the truth, but it's showing them. It's demonstrating it to them. We display the gospel of Jesus sometimes the best when we serve in the harvest. Are you with me? When we serve in the harvest. That's when we put the gospel of Jesus on display. Now look at verse 36. It says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, Jesus looks out at the crowds and he sees all the brokenness. He, it's, it's like he looks at our world around us and he sees all the evil and the brokenness and the lostness and the wrong and he sees it all and he could have been angry with condemnation. Why have you disobeyed me? He, he could have looked and pointed his finger and said, I told you, you should have obeyed God's law. You should have listened to me. But Jesus looks out at the crowds and it says that he is broken with compassion for them. They're like a sheep. They're like sheep without a shepherd. In fact, it's interesting that he says they're harassed and helpless. You know, sometimes as, as the church of Jesus these days, sometimes I feel like we're better at pointing fingers sometimes than opening our arms with deep compassion and offering a hand. Sometimes we can be very critical and condemning of the culture around us, but Jesus looked at the culture around them and it says he was moved with compassion. Now, it's interesting that the word here in the Greek is not a word that's used for compassion much in the Bible. It literally means the bowels are yearning for. Now, some of you, your stomach may be growling because you're hungry and ready for lunch, but, but that's not what this word is about. It's, it means that the bowels are yearning. It's, it's like you're yearning deep in your gut because you're moved over somebody's condition. It's the same word, listen, that Luke uses in the Gospel of Luke when it describes the father, if you know this story, the father who sees his lost son, the prodigal son returning home. And it uses this word to talk about how the father feels when he sees his son and runs to him to wrap his arms around him. It uses the same word for compassion. There is something about God, you guys, that is moved over people who are lost, for, lost and far from him and they turn and God sees them when they're still far off and he is moved with deep compassion. And listen, I believe when we love God, when we love God, we will love what God loves and be moved by what God is moved by. We display the gospel of Jesus when we love the harvest like Jesus did. 
when we look at the culture around us, when we look at our neighbors, when we look at people who are far from God, and maybe they don't live like you live, and maybe they don't have the same values you have, and maybe they live a different lifestyle than you live, but here's the deal. Jesus looks at them, and he's broken over them, and he has deep compassion for them, and he wants them to be with him. We display the gospel best when we love. Jesus was clear about that in many other verses. Jesus is motivated. I said this earlier, but I want to say it like this again. Jesus is motivated by compassion, not just conversion. Are you with me? And we should be motivated by the same. What if if Christians were known for their compassion more than their desire to convert, correct, or condemn? Look at verse 37. It says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, when Jesus looks at the crowds, he sees a harvest. This is the harvest language, right? You see it? And in other words, he doesn't just see problems. He doesn't just look around him in the lostness and the brokenness and see problems, but he sees people and their potential. You know what? This language tells me that Jesus looks at a broken culture and he sees something good. He sees potential. A harvest is a really good thing. It's really good. Sometimes when we look at culture, we don't see a lot of good, do we? And Jesus sees something that can be redeemed. He sees something with potential. He sees past the brokenness and the lostness. And he sees a harvest. You know what? I, I, I want to tell you this, and you may, you may remember this. In another gospel, in the gospel of John, on another occasion in John chapter 4, Jesus talks about the harvest, and, and he says this. Now, you may remember this occasion. Jesus had been talking to a woman beside a well. We call it the story of the woman at the well. Jesus had been talking to her, and and she happened to be a woman that was an outcast, a woman who was involved with lots of different men, had a checkered past, a woman who was broken and searching. And Jesus begins to talk to her. But did you, here's the interesting thing about the story. At the time Jesus was talking to her, his disciples had gone into town to get some food. They had gone to find some food from McDonald's, and so they brought it back, and, um, and when they were bringing it back, they saw Jesus talking to this woman. and She was a Samaritan woman. We're not going to get into the whole story. But they saw him and they thought, he probably shouldn't be associating with people like that. Right? That's probably what they thought. Because, well, we won't get into all of it. But they, they were kind of surprised that Jesus was doing it. And they get back and instead of saying like, what are you doing? Like, you shouldn't be hanging around with women in the middle of town. And especially a woman like that. And this, Jesus, this is not a smart thing to do. Now, they don't say all that, so I'm I'm putting words in their mouth. But they do say this. They get back, and they ask Jesus if he's hungry. Because they've gotten food, and they're they're eating. And they go, Jesus, are are you hungry? Aren't you hungry? Like, shouldn't you be eating? And I want you to listen to Jesus' response. I'm just going to put it on the screen. Just look. John chapter 4, verse 34 and 35 says this. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him, him is God there, him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then the harvest, then comes the harvest? And listen listen to this. Here's the most important part. Jesus says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Now he's talking to his disciples, right? They're eating. They're like looking at the barbecue sauce. They're dipping their chicken nuggets in. You, You with me? Some of you, I'm trying to wake you up just by saying silly things. All right. So 
So they're looking at their food. They're thinking, why isn't Jesus eating? I mean, we're hungry. I mean, this is, it's lunchtime. And Jesus goes, look up. Lift up your eyes. There's a reason I was sitting here talking to this woman that you think I shouldn't be associating with. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. He challenges the disciples and he says this, you're looking at the wrong thing. I mean, it's not bad. I mean, I know you get hungry and I know you need to eat. And I know you think I shouldn't have been associated with her. And I know, but there's a reason we came this direction. There's a reason I sat beside the well. There's a reason I didn't go get food because I was concerned about that lady. And I want you to look up and I want you to see the harvest. In other words, Jesus is saying, your eyes need to see what my eyes see. Jesus says, my food comes from doing the will of God who sent me. Now, interestingly enough, think about this for a second. We can't dive into this completely, but some Christians, I believe today, are so concerned with getting fed spiritually. Are you think, think with me about this for a second. Sometimes, as Christians, we, we go to church to get fed spiritually. Sometimes we're more concerned with getting ourselves fed, and, the, and we can't see the harvest around us because our eyes are on us. And Jesus says, listen, my hunger is satisfied by doing the will of God who sent me into the harvest. And the interesting thing about the harvest is this, how do we actually get fed? It's not from Publix. It's it's from the harvest. Anyway, you just think about that for a little bit. Following Jesus, listen, following Jesus is ultimately not about getting yourself fed spiritually. Being a part of Church at Cane Bay and following Jesus is not about getting fed, you guys. Listen, it is about letting Jesus use you to reach the harvest that he is concerned about as a missionary when you give up yourself for the sake of other people and then somehow God nourishes you in the process from the harvest. I pray that I would be a follower of Jesus and you would be a follower of Jesus that would lift up our eyes from our own selfish American needs and see the harvest that Jesus sees because it's all around us. Back to Matthew 9 for a second and let's finish this up. Then he said in verse 37, I'm going to read this again. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So what does Jesus say do about this? We know he's concerned about the harvest, consumed with it. And as we as followers of Jesus should be as well. But what does Jesus say do? The first thing he tells us to do is not to go to the harvest, not to preach to the harvest, not to even serve the harvest, even though that's what we just talked about. What's the first thing Jesus says to do? To pray. Pray for the harvest. Now, now, why does Jesus say that? Why does Jesus say our first response to all of this should be we should pray for them? Because you know what I've learned in my life? When I begin to pray to God about my lost neighbors, my lost family, my friends who are far from God, my heart begins to long for them and break for them and change for them. And my eyes will begin to see them the way God sees them. And then God may open up an opportunity to move me to go to them. You can't pray for lost people around you and stay silent and distant. You just can't do it. And if you're praying for people around you, you will love them, you will listen to them, you will long for them, and you will share with them. 
Years ago, a pastor was talking about Jesus' mission of fishing for people, and he challenged us. He gave us this little slip of paper called a fishing list, and he said, I want you to write the names of 10 people who, who you know who don't know Jesus yet. I want you to write their names down, and I want you to begin to pray about that. Now, I was a pastor at the time when he said this, so I was a pastor of a church follow me in this. I could not think of 10 people quickly that were far from God, but close to me as I wrote the names down. I got through like three or four names and I, it was difficult for me, especially outside of my family. I started naming cousins, second cousins and third cousins. And listen, listen, I, I was deeply convicted that I was the pastor of the church, but I didn't have very many lost friends. And you know why? Because somehow in church, we've, we've, We've shaped it like this, that it's about us and that we're each other's friends and we hang together. We've created this subculture. And listen, to be honest, here's the thing. I worked at the church. I was involved and busy with church stuff. Most of my friends were from the church. I didn't have time to be in the harvest of Jesus. And that is wrong. And that's a problem. So we made an intentional decision as a family to reposition ourselves. Now, I'm not saying you should all do exactly what we did, but we made a decision that we were going to do less church things. And this is another reason at Church at Cane Bay we want to keep it simple, you guys. Because we want you to do less church things and more harvest things. Are you with me? So we made a decision to reposition ourselves. And I started spending more time out of my office and away from my staff and in the harvest. We made a decision for our kids to stay in public school at the time. And I'm not saying that's for everybody, but for us, that was a decision we made when we were kind of kicking around some other ideas. We started hanging out more with our neighbors and befriending them. We started getting to know the other parents of our kids' sports team. Instead of just showing up and cheering for our kid, we looked around in the bleachers and said, I want to know them. I'm not saying you have to make all those decisions. I'm just saying that you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you need to follow him into the harvest. And sometimes that might mean changing some of your decisions. My question is, who are you praying for today that's far from God? Who are you praying for today that if, if God answered your prayer, they would be in the kingdom of God tonight? I want you to... If you got your phone in front of you or your program or a pen, I, I just want you to, and maybe you don't have any of that and you can just think through, I just want you to make a mental list or an actual list of three people right now. Just write down three first names and maybe they're sitting near you so you can write a code name down if you want to. But here's the thing. I want you, I want you to write down three names of people who are far from God, but they're close to you. God has put you around them. And I want you to write down their names. And then I want you, I've just said three I want you, you can write more than that if you want, but I, build, I want you today to begin to pray for them and pray for opportunities to display and share the gospel with them and maybe even begin to journal how God is working in their life because as you begin to pray for them, you're going to begin to see how God's working, I promise. Now, notice in this passage that we just read back to uh, Matthew 9, 37 through 38, it says that the laborers are few. Did you notice that language? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Isn't it interesting? We're talking about that on Labor Day. Um, anyway, anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Um, 
He says the laborers are few. We need more laborers. In other words, Jesus says that we don't need to just pray. But then he says, but we need more laborers, more more workers, more people who are willing to take responsibility for the harvest in the fields around them. Now, he doesn't, it's interesting how Jesus says that. He says, pray and pray that God would send more laborers. And I think what Jesus is thinking is pray and God might send you, but you pray for laborers and then let let God do the urging and convicting. You know what? I think that we will only have more laborers in the harvest when we, when we stop becoming a church that just gathers and a church that lives sent lives in the harvest around us, when we each become co-laborers and take responsibility for the harvest around us. Now, here's what I mean by this. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to show you something, an illustration here. At Church at Cane Bay, we draw a circle around our church, and we call it a circle of influence or a circle of responsibility. Now, you've heard us say a lot that we take a 10-mile radius from this church. Now, we're considering changing that to like a 5-mile radius because there's a lot more people in our circle these days. But here's the deal. We drew a circle around Cane Bay, and we said everybody in that, in that circle, in that 10-mile radius circle, we are responsible for. Our church is responsible for. And they may not all show up at our church on Sunday morning, but we still have responsibility for them. Every man, woman, and child in that circle, every school in that circle, every hospital in that circle, every neighborhood, every business, every church, every person, we want all of them to have multiple opportunities to hear, see, and respond to the gospel of Jesus. But listen, that will not happen here on Sunday morning because there are a lot of people in our circle and they're not right here right now. So how will it happen? It will happen when you and I take responsibility for the harvest in our backyards, in our offices, in our schools, in our classrooms, in our streets, in our families. That's the only way it will happen. So what we want you to do is to draw your own circle of responsibility or your own circle of influence around you. And you don't have to do a 10-mile radius. You might do a 10-house radius or 10-cubicle radius. But draw your own circle of responsibility. Now, I'm going to show you a video real quick that explains this a little better than I just did. So watch this. We all have a circle of influence, a relational circle made up of the people that we interact with in both our work and personal lives. Inside your circle, you might find neighbors, co-workers, your spouse, your children, your distant relatives, your volleyball team, teachers, Vendors, subcontractors, you get the picture. But everyone's circles are different, and that's okay. You may be a business owner with employees, a husband, two kids who play soccer, neighbors on both sides and across the street, and you have a dog, which, by the way, requires visits to the vet. Or maybe you're going to school. You're not totally sure what the future looks like, but you have friends, classmates, professors, and your family back home. Not only that, but you've got the pressures of the whole dating scene. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. When people ask where you work, you typically say, I don't, but you know full well that you do. You just don't get paid cash for it. You're involved in lots of activity through the week, driving kids back and forth to friends' houses, swimming lessons, homework, laundry, meal preparation. You know you have to have some time for yourself, so you take a yoga class at the gym. Or maybe you're single, recently divorced, working two jobs to help make sure everything is taken care of. You have a group of guys you hang out with once a week at the bowling lanes, and you golf when you can squeeze it in between shifts. Now, we only gave four examples here, but there are millions of variations in size and content. Everyone's circles are different, but 
One thing is common in everyone's circle. The people inside it need to see and hear good news. They need to see something real. Not just a bunch of religious words or well wishes, but a living, breathing demonstration of what the gospel looks like right here in this world. The kind of demonstration that gives and loves and helps and accepts and forgives and makes better. If the whole world is going to see and hear this, then each person has to represent it well within their circle. We can't focus on all those people out there we don't know. We have to pay attention to the people who are right in front of us. We have to be aware. We have to figure out how we can represent the gospel to those people. And that is what circle groups are all about. Circles. These groups exist so we can develop relationships that provoke us to engage our individual circles of influence. When we come together in these groups, our lives intersect. We get to know each other better. We learn from each other. We seek to better understand what it means to follow Jesus in this world. Friendships are formed and knowledge is attained. But we need to pause and consider this. For most of us, our education has already surpassed our level of activity. Meaning, we know this much, but we only live this much. If that's the case, we have to realize that the main purpose for our groups is not just to learn more, but rather to better put our faith into practice. So whatever happens inside this context, our desire is that it provokes us to go back into our circles of influence with our eyes open, looking for ways to make a difference in those areas that we are already engaged. Our circles need good news, and together we can help each other bring it to them. So here's what I want you to do. Today, when you go home over lunch, would you do this for me? Would you look at your family or your spouse or your kids or the person next to you or or, or maybe go to lunch with somebody else here at Church at Cane Bay? And I I just want you to have have this conversation. Who is in my circle? Who's in my circle? Who has God put me near? Because he has a plan for them and he's going to use me in it. I still remember watching a guy named Dana. Dana Stickles. Um, This was years ago. He was baptized one day at our church. He was baptized not by me as the pastor, but he was baptized by his co-worker that went to our church, a, a Christian man. Dana had always been skeptical of Christianity, and he thought Christians were narrow-minded and naive. But however, this guy, this Christian guy at Dana's work, seemed different to him. He was so nice to him. He, He treated him differently. And he and his wife brought dinner to Dana one time. And he even remembered Dana's birthday on his birthday. And he sent him a card, and he sent him, and he called him, and this guy, what Dana did not know is that this Christian man had been praying for Dana as his co-worker for months and months and months because he knew Dana didn't know Jesus. One day, Dana went to him and he said, you are the first Christian I've ever known who makes me want to be a Christian. Now that's a huge statement, isn't it? So slowly, this man began to share the good news about Jesus with Dana, he began to tell him why he became a follower of Jesus. And eventually he asked Dana if he wanted to make the same decision. And to this guy's surprise, Dana said, yes, I want what you've got in your life. 
Daniel became, became a, a follower of Jesus, and three weeks later, his co-worker baptized him in a swimming pool. Dana became a bass player in the band at our church, has since to help start several new churches and led lots of people to Jesus. At church at Cane Bay, listen, we want to see every man, woman, and child like Dana in our circles experience what Dana experienced. And the only way it will happen is if you and I, if you and I each individually, if we will serve, love, see, pray, and take responsibility for the harvest. Because that's who Jesus died for. And that's what we care about at Church at Came Bay. Will you pray with me? God, I, I just... I feel convicted, God, just even right now as I talk about this. About so many people that live close to me, that are near me, and sometimes I look past them. Sometimes I'm so busy with my own life and my own stuff. God, today I pray that you would give me your eyes. God, I thank you that we get to be a part of a church where we have missional communities, where we can spread out and take responsibility for the harvest around us, that we're not just about ourselves and learning more, but seeking to serve and to love and to display the gospel. God, I thank you that we get to be a part of a church that plants other churches and partners with schools and businesses and people outside of the church. God, I pray we'd never be a church that's just concerned with ourselves. But God, I pray that we'd always be a church that is in the harvest. And God, I pray that today, as we go home, that we would start listening and seeing the harvest around us. And today we'd start praying for them. And God, you would use us as your laborers in your harvest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.